0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 161 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news that the UK Government has issued consultation on proposed changes to UK GDPR. We have news that Elizabeth Denham has consulted with other G7 countries on changes to cookies. Gun owners across the UK have been targeted by animal rights activists after the data breach at the guntrader.uk website, which we brought news to you of a few weeks ago. And then travelling to the US, and in particular to New York State, where a student has launched a lawsuit after Syracuse University had a data breach. And remaining in the US, we travelled to Nevada, where the US restaurant chain Dotties has suffered a data breach. We then travelled to Singapore, where the mobile and ISP operator My Republic has suffered a data breach. Then to China, where their equivalent to GDPR, the PIPL, has been passed into statute. And then we travel to Turkey with some interesting statistics from the Turkish Data Protection Authority on data breach penalties, which they've imposed over the last 12 months. So as always, a good mix of articles here on this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. We hope that you find the information useful and informative. If you have any comments for us, please do email us at feedback at We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday, 4 pm UK time.
1: Two weeks ago, in episode 159 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we talked about Oliver Dowden, the Culture Secretary, and also the introduction of the new Information Commissioner in the UK, John Edwards, as being an opportunity, as the government saw it, to introduce some changes to GDPR. Well, this week the government has launched a consultation entitled Unleashing Data's Power, in which it set out these changes which it proposing to make to GDPR. The consultation is open for 10 weeks and closes on Friday the 19th of November 2021. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the proposals in more detail, but in a nutshell, the items that are being considered are removing the requirements for organisations to have to designate a Data Protection Officer, a DPO, Changes to the threshold for reporting a data breach to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. Removing the requirement for prior consent for all types of web cookies. Creating a new separate lawful ground for the lawful use of personal data in research. This clause has particularly come about following the COVID-19 pandemic and the related research which has taken place with that drawing up a limited exhaustive list of legitimate interests for which organisations can use personal data without applying a public interest balancing test. Some examples here are that it could cover data processing necessary for reporting a criminal act and delivering statutory public communications and public health and safety messages. And also, a specific provision would allow the posting of personal data for purposes of monitoring and detecting bias in artificial intelligence systems. The proposal perhaps likely to attract the most controversy, is that removing Article 22 of UK GDPR. Article 22 states that data subjects shall have the right not to be the subject of a decision based solely on automated processing, including profiling, which produces legal effects concerning him or her or similarly significantly affects him or her, i.e. it would remove the right of people to object to processing. And what we think is also going to be a controversial issue is a proposal to... Introduce fees for subject access requests. Now, of course, we can see both sides of the coin on this one, and we will come back to it in more depth in future weeks. But in a nutshell, the choice is between imposing a fee, and at the moment, we don't presume that that would be a flat fee as it used to be before GDPR came in or keeping data requests free as they are now. The danger with data requests being free is that it encourages people to make requests that they would not otherwise make, which perhaps are not serious requests, but are designed just to cause a nuisance to the organisation that has to provide the data. But against that, charging for them could discourage people from making totally legitimate requests for data. So that's one we will definitely come back to because we'd like to examine that in a lot more depth as to what the pros and cons are of reinstating a charge for the provision of data subject access requests. The consultation is available now from the gov.uk website and, as I say, we will be looking at each section in detail over the next few weeks. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Remaining with the UK Information Commissioner and for the moment our current Commissioner, Elizabeth Denham, who, on Tuesday this week, met with fellow counterparts from the G7 group of nations, with each country taking the opportunity to raise a technology problem that they believed could be solved with closer cooperation. Elizabeth Denham chose cookie banners as her subject. No single country can tackle this issue alone, she said. That's why I'm calling on my G7 trolleys to use our convening power. Together, we can engage with technology firms and standard organisations to develop a coordinated approach to the challenge. Cookie pop-ups are widely disliked by internet users and businesses who see them as an annoying obstacle, and by privacy advocates who believe so-called dark patterns trick people into accepting privacy invasions rather than reading through pages and settings on every website. I often hear people say they are tired of having to engage with so many cookie pop-ups, Ms Denham said. That fatigue is leading to people giving more personal data than they would like. The Information Commissioner's Office said it would pitch a vision for the future. In it, web browsers or even device-wide settings will allow people to set lasting privacy preferences to they're choosing rather than having to do that through pop-ups every time they visit a website. The ICO said it felt that that would ensure people's privacy preferences were respected while improving the user experience. The ICO said it believes that such an approach is already technologically possible and compliant with existing data protection law. However, achieving it would require cooperation among different technology firms or standards organisations. Now, of course, there's already considerable debate over the future of cookies, with Apple limiting them by default in its software, and Google pursuing a new standard that does not have the buy-in of other software makers. The ICO, for its part, said it believes that the combined weight of the G7 authorities could have a major impact in steering big tech firms to develop a solution. Jim Killock, executive director of Open Rights Group, said that even though the ICO's proposal was something he supported, most tricky banners were already breaking UK law. If the ICO wants to sort out tricky banners, then it should follow its own conclusions and enforce the law, he said. We have waited over two years now for the ICO to deal with this, and now they're just asking the G7 to do their job for them. That is simply outrageous. Elizabeth Denham said that she accepted that any solution would take a long time to be rolled out because new international standards usually have a long formal process. Until then, she said, as a regulator, she expected businesses to comply with the current laws.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: Back in episode 154 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you news about the data breach at the Gun Trader UK website. Well, this week, gun owners have reportedly been targeted by animal rights activists following the data breach. The leaked personal data, which includes names, addresses, postcodes, phone numbers and IP addresses of as many as 111,000 gun owners, was stolen from the client records database on the Gun Trader website. It's now been reported that the leaked data has been published on a blog by animal rights activists urging their supporters to contact gun owners in their own area and ask them if they're involved in shooting animals. When the breach was reported, there were original concerns that those affected by the breach could be targeted by criminals, and some police forces have already provided warnings directly to gun owners in their area. Also this week, lawyers at Simpson-Miller, who are representing those affected, say the breach is particularly concerning, as the data included precise geolocations. Simpson-Miller said it had been instructed to begin investigations into whether more should have been done to protect personal information. Robert Godfrey, head of professional negligence at Simpson Miller, said those affected were desperate for answers and reassurance given the threatening nature of this particular cybercrime. He said anyone affected by the breach could have a valid claim for damages against the trader for the distress and potential harm caused by the ordeal. A number of individuals who have purchased firearms from the organisation and trader have contacted us to express concerns that their private information has been made available to members of the public, Mr Godfrey said. In this particular instance, the people we are speaking to are worried about their safety and the safety of their families. They are understandably anxious and fearful about how the information may be used further to reports that it appeared on an animal activist blog. While Simpson Miller welcomes news that investigation is underway and that Google has removed the data, Mr Godfrey said the true extent of the damage was yet to be seen. Those affected will no doubt be looking for answers and some reassurance they are safe, he added. We are now in the early stage of our investigation to determine whether more could or should have been done to protect their data. If we receive any update on this, either from Gun Trader or from Simpson Miller, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. To America now, and in particular Syracuse in New York State. A Syracuse University student affected by a data breach that exposed their names and social student numbers of nearly 10,000 students, alumni and applicants is suing the University for negligence. The class action lawsuit, which was filed on Onondaga County Supreme Court on Thursday, alleges that the inadequate cyber security protocols and poor staff training at Syracuse University left thousands of people's personally identifiable information vulnerable. The plaintiff filed the case after an unauthorised charge was made to his checking account following the breach. He is requesting that there is a trial by jury. Sarah Scalise, Senior Associate Vice President for University Communications, said that the university doesn't comment on pending litigation. The breach the lawsuit refers to occurred late on September 25th, after a university employee fell victim to a phishing attack in which the employee clicked a link and exposed their credentials to a malicious actor. The university locked the compromised account on September 28th and Syracuse University's Information Technology Services tried to establish what information had been exposed. The department didn't detect that any files were accessed or copied by the unauthorised party but couldn't prove that the files weren't accessed either, said Stephen Bennett, Senior Vice President for International Programs and Academic Operations. On October 6th, the university hired a firm that specialised in data security to assist with the investigation. The firm finished its investigation on January 4th but said it was unable to confirm whether files contained names and social security numbers had been accessed. The university sent letters to those whose information was exposed on February the 4th. It also alleges that the university's four-month delay notifying those affected by the breach compounded the actual and potential harm of the security failure. Syracuse University officials defended their handling of the breach during an interview with the district attorney's office in February State law requires that institutions inform people of data breaches via US mail. Because the independent firm that the university partnered with to send the notification letter had to track down the mailing list of the applicants and others not enrolled at the university, the process took some considerable time. Still, Civil the University said it believes its response time was average or slightly above average. In response to the breach, the university said it would establish a task force to look at the management of digital documents. The university officials also said it had increased training for staff to prevent another similar breach and would move the entire campus to a two factor authentication sign in system. Silvertrees University partnered with Experian to provide temporary free credit monitoring and identity theft services to those affected by the breach. The lawsuit called these services insufficient given the long term consequences of data breaches. And alleged that Syracuse University offered those affected an unreasonably short window of opportunity to claim the services. If we receive any further update as this lawsuit progresses, we will of course bring it to you here on the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Wants to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4 p.m. UK time.
1: Remaining in the USA, but travelling now to Nevada. A cyber attack on US fast food and gambling chain Dottie's it exposed the personal data of customers, the company has warned. Dottie's, a fast food chain which offers gambling services across 175 locations, is owned and operated by Nevada Restaurant Services. Nevada Restaurant Services said that malware was discovered on certain computer systems on January the 16th this year, allowing an unauthorised individual to gain access to and copy data. Potential data sets that were accessed include customer names, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's licence or state ID numbers, passport numbers, financial account and or routing numbers, health insurance information, treatment information, biometric data, medical records, taxpayer identification numbers and credit card numbers and or expiration dates. NOS has not yet released any details of the number of people affected by the breach. It said it has contacted potential victims via post and has owed NOS customers to be vigilant and look for any signs of fraud. The company said in a statement, NOS has security measures in place to protect its systems and the information in its possession, and NOS has worked to add further technical safeguards to this environment. Following this incident, NOS took immediate steps to secure its systems and to conduct a diligent investigation into the full nature and scope of the incident. When we receive any further update from NOS, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next variable episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Singapore now, and almost 79,400 MyRepublic mobile subscribers have been caught up in a data breach that exposed a range of personal information, MyRepublic has confirmed. The Singapore-based ISP and mobile provider said that an unauthorised data access incident took place on August 29th this year. The intrusion in question was aimed at a third-party data storage platform used to store the personal data of MyRepublic's mobile customers. The affected data includes various forms of proof of identification, the carrier acknowledged. For Singapore citizens, permanent residents and employment and dependent pass holders, this was understood to include scanned copies of both sides of their national registration identity cards, which are compulsory identity documents issued to citizens and permanent residents of Singapore. The identity cards include names, pictures, dates of birth, addresses, countries of origin, race and gender. For foreign residents, it's understood that proof-of-residential address documents, e.g. scanned copies of a utility bill, may also have been included, and for customers porting from an existing mobile service, their names and mobile numbers would have been included. Account numbers and payment information weren't affected, MyRepublic said, and none of the company's internal infrastructure was compromised. The incident has been contained, MyRepublic said, because the unauthorised access to the data storage facility has since been secured. The firm added that it had contacted Singapore's Infocom Media Development Authority and the Personal Data Protection Commission to help get to the bottom of the attack while engaging KPMG in Singapore to work closely with MyRepublic's internal IT and network teams to resolve the incident. The privacy and security of our customers are extremely important to us at MyRepublic, Melton Rodriguez, CEO at MyRepublic, said. Like you, we are disappointed with what has happened and I would like to personally apologise for any inconvenience caused. He added, my team and I have worked closely with government authorities and expert advisors to secure and contain the incident and we will continue to support our affected customers every step of the way to help them navigate this issue. My Republic is offering the complimentary credit monitoring service for affected customers through Credit Bureau Singapore and said it's reviewing its systems and processes both internal and external to shore up any cybersecurity efforts that it needs to. If we receive any further update from my republic, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: If you're ready to listen to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you'll know that in episodes 126, 136, and 148, we've mentioned about the new privacy law emerging in China, which is based heavily upon GDPR. Well, this week, the PIPL the PRC, Personal Information Protection Law, passed into statute. Not much has changed since the last draft version of the legislation. The corporate level of culpability is being kept intact with the ability for authorities to order to correct, confiscate any illegal gains and warning that in serious cases a fine of up to 5% of the turnover in the last year of the business will be allowed, plus suspension or even shutdown of the business. Likewise, the new legislation allows for penalties to be served on individual company directors as well as the main company itself. And these individual fines on company directors can range from £11,000 to around £120,000. One particular point to be stressed which does not exist under GDPR but is highly relevant to business in the Chinese context is that the PIPL will link one's compliance record with a so-called corporate social credit system. Any violation of PIPL will affect the company's credit rating in the system which in turn will affect the company's access to business-related resources in China and might even result in the loss of access to the Chinese market. Like GDPR, PIP out has an extraterritorial scope and it covers any activities which are for the purpose of providing goods or services to natural persons within the People's Republic of China, are to analyse or assess behaviours of natural persons within the People's Republic of China or fall into other circumstances as stipulated by laws and regulations regardless of where the organisation carrying out the processing is based, whether that's inside China or outside China. And again, in a similar way to GDPR, the PIPL covers the transmission of data out of China and says that transmission must follow due process. That is, there must be a successful security assessment as organised by regulators. The protection must be certified by a licensed agency. Contracts must include standard clauses, other legitimate basis under Chinese laws or as allowed by Chinese regulators, or on the basis of international treaties concluded by China. A particular note is that under PIPL, a separate consent from the data subject based on detailed disclosure about the export and the recipient is required before the respective data may leave China, and any provision of personal data to a foreign law enforcement agency or to a foreign torture shall require prior approval of the competent Chinese authorities. So, if you're trading with China, what does this mean? it means that you should take the following actions immediately. The first is to get familiar with the new compliance requirements under PIPL, but not limiting the exercise only to personal information since other new laws, for example the topic of important data under the PERC Data Security Law and other industry-specific rules, shall also be covered. The exercise should include mobilising resources not only at your Chinese subsidiaries level but also at the whole group level since foreign head offices and affiliates will also be taught by the long reach of the law i.e. the extraterritorial scope. You should also run a full data mapping exercise within your organisation including how data flows amongst different hands. Again this covers not only personal information but also other categories of data like important data and scientific data. An area no company can invade will be human resources where the full process will need to be examined, i.e. not only existing employees, but also any former or potential employees. If your business is structured on a B2C, business-to-consumer, basis, no question the PIPL will be more relevant to you than others and data mapping needs to be run through the whole business process. And you also need to look at the impact of the PIPL on your organisational setup, as well as on your supply chain management. The topic may need to be discussed at a much higher level since there could be strategic strategical impact on how multinational companies will organise their Chinese business in the future to better manage compliance challenges associated with personal information as well as other data concern from a Chinese perspective. <laughs> and finally this week, some interesting figures to emerge from the Turkish State Protection Authority. It's perhaps worth bearing in mind that the minimum penalty available under Turkish law is just over two and a half thousand pounds in sterling, while the maximum is just short of a hundred and sixty eight thousand pounds. So with that in mind, over the last twelve months, the Turkish data protection Authority has issued an average fine of just under sixteen thousand pounds. It issued six penalties of less than eight and a half thousand pounds, four penalties of between eight and a half thousand and seventeen thousand pounds two penalties between £17,000 and £34,000, two penalties between £34,000 and £68,000, and the highest fine imposed in the last four months has been one for £68,000. Interestingly, the Turkey State Protection Authority has allowed its companies some lenience over the reporting of data issues or data breaches due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But has actually only added one day. So instead of 72 hours, it's allowed 96 hours for breaches to be reported. Whereas we know, of course, that many data protection authorities across Europe have been considerably more relaxed during the COVID period over the 72-hour deadline.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production.
0: Until next time, bye-bye.